Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. Hey folks, DJ here. I just want to take some time to talk about Werewolf the Apocalypse Retaliation by Flyles Games. This soon-to-launch game is brought to you by the same team that's bringing you Vampire the Masquerade chapters, and they just released a trailer to go along with it. We at 25 invite you to check it out at Werewolf the Apocalypse dash retaliation.com to catch a peek at the trailer and be updated of when it'll appear on Kickstarter, which seems to be early 2022. The game promises to have everything that made chapters endearing to us, the fans, including scenarios, investigations, beautiful miniatures, and more. With that, thanks for your time. Hey everybody, welcome back to 25 Years Presents Requiem. And of course, this one uh, we got coming around is a Belial's Brood, or is it Belial's Brood, guys? Which which one is it? I always like Belial. Belial sounds like uh, sounds like the nerdy demon. Belial. Belial has strength behind it. It has gravitas. You're like, I that's I the like guy. That as well. That's the guy that can get me the things I need. I feel that Belial is a way to pronounce it if you're an educated British woman trying to insult a cultist. Or or right? <laughs> or you're uh, the cardinal of a satanic church and you got to say his name as part of the opening line to your song maybe titled it Year 0 and Belial just doesn't fit the rhyme scheme. It's a little weird <laughs> that you would you would put it that. It's a little oddly specific, you little I was about to say that. All all I'm saying is ghost is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying. All right. Um, what I want to state off the bat is that we're going to take a note. Well, actually, two things. One, uh, this book most likely is going to come into two parts. We're not real certain yet. We'll make that distinction as we go along here. So you may notice a gap pause and we'll resume. Obviously, everybody will see it when we do this next time. Um, oddly, I didn't have to state that, but I do because I like to keep everybody in the loop. Uh, the second thing is, is that um, the intro story to this book we're not going to dive into. I feel a large part of this book that draws you in is that intro story. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I do believe in it. And it helps you digest the rest of the book to that constructive ideal. I want to keep that as whole as possible, unless there's some key elements you gentlemen want to add to it before we roll. Uh, the only thing I want to say about it is that that, that was the first intro story to any of the books that I've read that perfectly summed up everything else that was going to follow after it. Like as I was reading through it, there are there are gonna be like themes to it and like points of it that that I could go into, but they're also the same points I'd go into when we're talking about Belial's brood in general. And if we were to dive into the the if we were to unpack all of that from the intro story, we'd be here a while. I was about to say that's probably the better reason as to it. It everything Brennan has touched upon, and I think because of the stuff we'll be unpacking, it's just more prudent to do it this way than it would be to go through the story. We'll see. It's one of those things where it's an Easter egg where when you folks read it, you'll be like, this all makes sense now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Um, what I'm going to do here then is that uh, before we get started, there's a disclaimer here from the developer. This is Will Hindmarch. And I'm not going to read the entire thing, but I kind of put out some points here talking about what this book is and what it's not. Right. Um, he says, uh, I didn't want to do this book. Not at first. I didn't want to add depth to Belial's brood because I was afraid it would humanize them. To me, what makes Belial's brood scary is their fearlessness. Keep that in mind. They'd rather charge through the gates of hell than dwell in fear of the inevitable. Belial's brood, they're fodder for vampire hunting tales in which the hunters are themselves vampires. However, some vampire players want to see the vampires of Belial's brood explain themselves. Some vampire players want to see them get the philosophical depth that a chronicle can be built on. Some players want to see these monsters as people, and fair enough. 
Unlike the approach they took in, in the book seven, uh, which offered three distinct possible truths to the mystery of that fringe group, this book takes a closer look and a multifaceted possible truth for the would-be covenant. And those are the words of uh, Will Hindmarch. She goes on to say much more into this, but uh, at the same point, you can read that as well. I think that that is the meat of what I want to open up and resonate you, and particularly their fearlessness, right, as being scary. And a lot of people see fearlessness as being courageous, and yeah, you're right, right? But there's, like most things, there's two sides to a story. Mm-hmm. And that could be terrifying as well. I think anybody who can tear the head off a child and smile at you while they do it should be terrifying. But do they not have to be somewhat fearless to do that in the first place? Do I want that in my game? Do you want that in your game? That's the question. Well, I will warn you, in Bilal's Brood, in this book, it paints a pretty pretty rough picture, right? If the uh, intro story, which is called Rough Trade, isn't uh, enough of an eye-opener, as Brennan warned, it does encompass all that this book is. Right in that story, gives you an idea. Um, chapter one in this book goes over a history of vice, which showcases the origins, beliefs, and myths of the Forsworn, as the Bilal's would call themselves. In chapter two, called The Devil You Know, all the disquieting ways and means of the Forsworn are laid bare, basically more or less how they do what they do. It goes over spiritual themes, discussion of the path the Force One called the pursuit, uh, their politics, etc. Chapter 3 is the brood of, of Belial or Belial, which is where it's interesting. I want to call them Belial's brood when it's plural. However, when you read that blood of Belial, it's like, I don't want to say blood of Belial, like suddenly it falls into the place, just me. Uh, but in chapter 3, it discusses both the permutations of Forsworn blood and the ways in which uh, the highly factualized covenant organizes itself. In particular, one thing that we'll all know as a familiarity we'll get to, uh, hopefully today, uh, when it relates to the Valdery, mm-hmm. which is a term you haven't heard in a second. Um, well, haven't heard in, in Requiem in a hot minute. Um, the Wages of Sin is chapter four, and that contains basically all the mystical gifts that you want to dive into and the investments, as they call them, including their unique discipline called Koranzin, uh-huh. which bears an echo to Korazin, if you're familiar to uh, the Bali in that regard. And I feel it's an homage. And of course, the appendix is the adversary. We meet a host of storyteller characters to enjoy related specifically to this. Now, that said, and that said a lot, we'd be remiss not to talk about its references. And to that end, I'm going to start by saying this much. Their literature, I I put on a tinfoil hat. What, What did you guys think of it? Put on a tinfoil hat. I don't know what you what you meant by that, but uh, I'm I'm glad you asked since you didn't know what I meant by that. Not as a statement, <laughs> I take it as a question. Um, when you look at this and you read that it's a book called The Lords of the Left Hand Path: A History of Spiritual Descent, I had no idea this existed. Yeah, I didn't either. I'll also let you know that as soon as I read this, like you know, when, when did I start reading this? Four days ago. Uh, I think I have Lords of the Left Hand Path and like the the one on Gnosticism, like on my nightstand right now. I was like, I got to check this out. There's quite a few pursuits that I have and a misconception is I do a very good job and make it seem like Bob is well-versed in all things occult. Uh, Commonly. I'm a horror film fan and there's a lot of books to fiction I enjoy. When it jumps the rails when we get into actual occult books, existing documents and whatnot, I have a fascination with it. But me, I don't necessarily sit around and read it all. It's not that I don't want to read it or I wouldn't be like, oh, this is interesting. But at the same time, I have a fear. I'm willing to admit to you guys right now. Fear is pretty simple. You know how a religious text, you go to a church and, and you're there and uh, 
Well, I'll put it this way. When I first went to a Catholic church and sat down and saw the ritual everybody underwent mm-hmm. and, you know, body of Christ, everybody gets the wafer and all that other stuff. And it's uh, it's literally the body of Christ is transubstantiation. There's a belief there. You can feel it in the room as folks are in it. Now, there are a lot of people who are just there, mm-hmm. right, that they're there and this is what they typically do. But the very act that they're there showcases to them their, their throwing of the hat to the church itself, right? And that's cool been to a couple like methodist protestant i mean i've been i've been, been around for a bit um had some jewish friends and, and, and that happens and still have them i don't know why i said it in past tense uh but their faith has even looked that different than that of a catholic straight up and, and even still met some satanists too so i kind of seen the gamut in what people believe spirituality faith you know yogis you know in time so a lot of people diverse people and backgrounds i've had a silly fear of actually reading a gnostic text of actually going back far enough and checking out what uh what the Persians might have believed in and the dark mm-hmm. blood rites of what they might get or or things of that nature. I always feel a discomfort when it's a real book that somebody believed in, right? Not for what you think. It's not because, Bob, will this work? It's because my brain wants to play in a land when there isn't laws like there are now. And what the human mind decided it had to do to prove faith Right to prove that spiritual strength and what they believe they would get. Can you imagine, guys? Just to, just for example, reading a text that tells you that you can connect with another power. All you have to do is make a sacrifice, and your sacrifice sets the strength. And the spirits that hear you, at least the deeper ones, and call them what you want, the other, if you will, is going to grant you what you want based on the sacrifice. Special, right? So we're talking in, in the curse of the Bible, you know, curse. Why did I say that? I meant in, in Cain's story uh, with Cain and Abel, he chooses his brother because his normal sacrifice wasn't enough, upping the ante, sort of proving and kind of setting a precedent commonly. There are a lot of religions that took it to the hilt way before them that did that. But if you do that sacrifice, do you ever think what they must have felt like when nothing answered? What if something did answer? Right? Got to remember... This sort of thing changes you psychologically. If I got to kill a child or a baby to something, I have to swallow that horror of right. what I'm doing and sell the all in. Why I'm doing it is to get the point out because you got to sell the all in. And once you sell that all in, it's that horror is psychologically traumatizing you. And once that child is dead, you've killed a child. You have to convince yourself it was to a purpose. And now you're hoping the rest of the day or maybe the week or however long you're alive that any fortune that comes your way that's good, you attribute it to that right. Do you get how that works? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and what if it never came? And so to me, it's, it's, the, it's the realization of, man, how many times was this done? You know, how many times you do that? In the case of like Britain, I know you know about this. I'm going over heritage sites and finding juridic uh, uh, dens of uh, where their dead bodies, bones, mostly animals, but then they started finding infants. And things of that nature, wondering what it was about, you know, and being science getting involved, they speculate, right? Historians, it could have been child sacrifice, could have been, this is just where dead children got buried. We don't really know, right? But we're going to, you know, look into it, check it out and do things like that. That stuff leaves a chill in my back always to tie it full circle. I asked that question and obviously I want you to answer it as you feel comfortable. But when I read these texts started getting into it, I was like, I'm going to look these up when I absolutely have nothing else <laughs> to entertain myself in because I enjoy that discomfort, if that makes sense. 
Not really. Uh, this is the short answer. I've never really given it much thought as to actually going through with it because most of the time I've that I've pursued any of these, it's been in the form of entertainment or like reading, like reading up on on like thoughts that have been uh, popped off from like watching, uh, you know, Rosemary's Baby or something afterwards. Like, where did they get this from? Where, where, where does this like path lead? Is there anything else in this area? Because I, I watched this, I consumed it, now I want more. It's funny because that perspective, like, I guess to make it more concise as we go along the way, look at the stuff that they're pitching at you, right? Not only in terms of literature, but in terms of film as well. Like, one of my favorite movies, even though it's not the best movie that Polanski's ever put out, The Ninth Gate, I mm-hmm. thought was a really good reference yes. uh, for what this book does. But in this alone, and you haven't even gotten to the meat of it, when you start reading it, my mind went to the following. If you take a look at organized religion or anything like that, there's a comfort because there's enough people backing you that it's okay to involve yourself or to jump into the waters of it, right? You about Jesus, I'm about Jesus too. All right, well, we about Jesus, we're Christian, right? And then there's that you don't feel awkward about stuff. When you start reading these and you start getting, and especially coming from some sort of like religious background where you're taught the opposite in terms of like, if you're going solo, it's not a good idea. And all these literature books are here telling you like, if you want to delve deeper, just start reading these. And we know that this is a frame of reference for a game, but this doesn't change the human condition in terms of how the mind interprets it. There is that fear there because this is all about you taking a step alone instead of taking a step with a flock. And I thought this was a good precursor to what we'd get into when we start getting into uh, Blau's Brood. Now, uh, like often I do when I set this up, I have a theme involved in making that statement. Here we have three distinctive arguments. We have Brent Turner, I think, represents the modern world in terms of everything is here and I have privilege and I sit here and I could make anything entertaining because that's just how I'm going to get into it. It's there for me to pursue at www.myfuckingbusiness.com. And any answer I get is comfortable and doesn't hurt me and I can move on. If I don't like it, change the channel. DJ just admitted is that there's a level, another viewpoint where it says, hey, you know, you got to be careful with this. But at the same time, you can't deny it's drawing power, right? In terms of that, it is entertaining, you know, and if you do it, but it is self-motivated tied to this book. Mine comes from that perspective that says, you know, they come from somewhere. This all comes from somewhere and it takes serious. And these are inspirations, of course, hence why they're called references. And even movies like The Ninth Gate, which I think is awesome and keep beating that drum, is really a not as good as Angel Heart when you really think about it, right? Angel Heart is careful what you wish for. And, and, that's, and that's in there too in an older movie for, for that regard. Uh, but either way, um, Ninth Gate's about the Antichrist. Uh, Angel Heart, I won't ruin the film, but it's definitely about New Orleans noir feel of investigations into the occult most dark. And that's a, that, that's, that's a good thing. And Bilal's Brew doesn't disappoint in that. Case in point, once you get past all that and actually dive into it, there's something I found shocking. And I didn't even think about it. When you hear Bilal's Brood, you often don't think of it as anything more than like some weird group that's got to be killed by everybody in the city. Mm-hmm. Right? Because they're off. You know where they're at. They're terrible. Got to get rid of them. They bear the stink of previous, you know, uh, what am I thinking of? Bali, right? Like there's, they're a hallmark of it, like an echo of what that was in World of Darkness. And the fact of the matter is, is they're, they're a covenant. They, they exist as, as a group of vampires together for a purpose. And they have their own rights, ways, and, and, and ideas of being. But as interesting as that is, the brood's just a coterie at its heart and its construction. That each group that uh, we may have a group of ideals, all three of us, and it's interesting that there were three 
factions here represent <laughs> this book so it works out well but in all three in this regard we could all three run the covenant in different ways but we wouldn't necessarily be city owning that's Why? not what it's saying Right, because, well, maybe this is jumping a little bit ahead of time, but they, they're a covenant that doesn't care about that. They, they don't. They're uh, one of the most selfish, selfish ones that we've read about so far. It's an interesting take to have that, because when, when you say they don't care, it depends on who you talk to in the covenant, right? It's, uh, for, I think, for the most part, you could say it's comforting saying, yeah, they don't. And that'll work for the people who just want to be about, uh, yeah, it's uh, worship of Bilal is all about uh, satanic 80s imagery and, and stabbing people and raising hell and throwing mm. burning cards on the street. You could go that route. Certainly that fits a faction of it. But that other element is the ones that say we're standing back and we're watching how vampires can't construct a city. That puts them at the apex of ruling over mortals, right? Because, as we'll learn in a story here shortly, or to talk about it, uh, that's that's a promise that Belial, Belial made to his crew, his group, his following, in whatever facet you want to believe he's in, right? Um, that he'll come back to them once that happens because only the brood can accomplish that feat because they mayhaps have done it once before in a city of Dis. To that story... We'll just roll in and start that. Um, actually, we won't. Um, theme and mood, obviously. I don't want to skip that because you kind of have to remind yourself of it, too, mm-hmm. as you hear this. The theme of Bilal's brood is the search of meaning. That That's a talking point. Right. Why would it be a search of meaning? It's not a search of meaning for you, the listener, or you, even the reader, in that regard. It's about making sense of what it means to be who they are. They are finding meaning in what they are is the point. And there's a lot of what they do where it's all about that. And the mood, well, uh, I'll just take the quote from them. It's vile and confident reverie and grotesquerie, mm-hmm. which is a very special thing to do that. Um, I specifically quoted about that headless child thing uh, from, from the book itself, mentioning it because it's something that should shock and frighten everybody to even hear that, that it would be done. And it did me certainly to read it because it was like, oh, <laughs> what are we about to read? What's going on? And then it's like, no, no, no. Just an example of what the type of shock factor you could read. Because they do this book very maturely in its presentation, I feel. Um, but steep lexicon. You're going to need the lexicon. Uh, if you get this book in PDF, uh, when you buy it, it's very, it lends itself very easily to being uh, thrown through a lot of PDF readers to bookmark. And I recommend doing so. Definitely having that lexicon on hand for when you hear certain terms, it'll save you internet searching. Although, if you're us, we did both. Mm-hmm. Just for kicks. I mean, I was doing a brunch on earlier. Just, yeah, why not? Just to see. Yeah, there, there were a couple of spots where I was like, I know this word. It doesn't mean this. Click, click, click. Oh, it does mean that. <laughs> but I, was, I was dancing through it to hurry up and push this through because I want to ask you guys uh, about Belial as Antichrist. Like the book, for instance, we'll give that how it format delivers it. It has it to where this lady's bouncing through and she's interviewing various people who may or may not be of the brood, but they're definitely historians of them or know of them. And if, if I remember correctly, they're actually not, except for one guy who we'll just call him the Jackal because that's what he says his name is. Right. And you'll, you'll read that in the book. Very creepily done. But she starts off with the, uh, I apologize, with the, with the Russian as soon as she starts with the guy who's called that. And it's talking about Bilal, not as Antichrist. We'll do it in order. It's Bilal that is uh, is a demon to be worshipped. 
but what is that story, Brentron? I got you. You, you want to take this one? <laughs> yeah, I could definitely take ahead, that one. So essentially what it's doing is it talks about the story of using Belial to say that uh, he is one of the demons. He is one of the entities or it is one of the entities that it, it, it exists in the Goeta, right? In terms of how it, it uh, maneuvers about. There are other demons that do exist, other angels, etc. Um, but what it specifically talks about is the city of Dis, um, which had existed a time before. You mentioned um, very difficult people wrap their head around when they hear it and um you pronounce it goetta is it goetta or is it gosha could be gosha except i pronounce it as goetta right it's it's one of it's one of those things where it's like okay cool great but what does it mean it is a book or it is a text kind of denoting I would probably say, I wouldn't say exactly hierarchy, but it shows you the list of entities that do exist. You're talking about the Lesser Key of Solomon, that that R is Goetia, right? But I think what Bob's asking is Goetia, the the word, where does that come from? And and to that, that I don't know. Well, it's Greek, like R is Goetia. I can't even remember what R means. I think it's book. I think it's book of Goetia. Well, to the simple, to save it is like, because they're not even referring to to King Solomon's book in here. That very term just means sorcery. It's Greek for sorcery, right. which is you, why they mentioned The ahead. summoning of demons, right? It is about that, the summoning or worship of it. And I want to make sure we get that deep. It's not just demons. It's invoking spirits. Mm-hmm. That That's what it actually is. And they're talking about invoking. And in that story, as DJ was saying, Bilal is one such spirit. Now they say it to a very dark end, and DJ, please continue. Um, and so they say in the city of Dis that had existed, it was just lawlessness upon lawlessness of lawlessness. Kindred had already existed as it was. Um, but what made the difference, though, is that there was worship in many different ways. And Kindred are not bound not to worship anything because they, too, need to find meaning in themselves. Um, there are other demons that were being mentioned. Uh, the one such name kind of escapes my mind in terms of being that they, too, uh, were... I wish I remembered its name, and I apologize for that. But one other such demon of great note was being worshipped. But even then, it just that particular cult just kind of destroyed itself apart. There was no type of focus. However, with Bilal, because of the fact um, that one such entity, and I can't even pronounce his name, starts with an E, Ekendor. Um, once again, I apologize for a name, but his purpose essentially was to create this cult using Bilal as the figurehead for it. It'll help and you because he has three names, right? That they uh, listen to book. True. Just call him the Gangrel. The gangrel. I was about to say the gangrel, the the, the top gangrel who had decided, let's make this cult go down. And he espouses everything that Bilal wanted. There's a certain level of chaosness that kind of happens. It's all focused. Um, And he creates a brood, like brood beyond words, to say the very least, of people that are following him. And like every story that kind of plays itself out, you see where this gangrel actually happens to rule over the city for a short time until Bilal goes like, this isn't what your purpose was in the first place. The whole purpose of it was to tap into your beast. You are this monster. Why are you acting as if you have control over everything where the other kindred are? And it's like a reverse parable from a a different point of view, right? Where instead of God sending angels to go ahead and and smite Sodom and Gomorrah, he just sends a wave of frenzy upon every kindred where they just start eating each other and going specifically after him just to teach him a lesson. It's it's interesting how we uh how how that gets there because they, they put emphasis as to what all this is because we've heard the story of the beast before, right? Like you were meant for more than this, blah 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 blah. You're greater than man and all that, but that is not what he refers to in that. Right? Belial, first off, 
we got to understand that gangrel, right? They, uh, I don't know what it takes for someone to walk up and be like, yeah, we're going to do these demon rites. We're going to do all this. I'm going to gain this power. It's going to be great. It's going to be so lovely. Uh, but it's like, okay, so you do that. And now I'm going to wreck shop of a city because you're not following what went on. Because who told you to do what you did? Like, I wanted you to be awesome and learn my investments. And, you know, that that's my power, though, Jack. No one yours, it's mine. And then the city was awesome being chaotic and, and nuts. Humans were experiencing the height of sadism and pain. Mm-hmm. And they were also experiencing pleasure to untold depths. That's my broom. That's, that's where I live. But you went and screwed up and did something with this I didn't tell you to do. And since you got them all dancing to your tune with your little brood, um, he's able to use this tongue of the beast, is what it said, right? Belial is connected to something called the adversary, mm-hmm. right? Or the demiurge, as they refer to it. And what both those mean, it's like, depends on how you want to call it, right? The, it's basically the devil, right? Except it's not referring to the uh, Judeo-Christian uh, Islamic version of that uh, in any slight way. It's like an entity, an energy uh, that exists for for evil itself as we would know it. That's what they're referring to. And, and Belial is kind of in worship of it. And what he's saying is vampires are the closest conduit, the closest connection to being as unto it. So the purpose of him permitting this thing, this gangrel to, to give into worship was to show it a path a pursuit that it could follow in order to get there. And that's the point is to basically is to debase yourself as a beast to let go of what man considers the beast and understand what a vampire should consider what a beast is. And in that is your connection to this demiurge, which is something we'll get into a little, a little later. Uh, so, so what the hell that can mean? Uh, but it's deep in this, in the story because of the angering element of it. The coolest part about this story is DG put out, I mean, he laid it out perfect, but it's understanding that deep cut is because the guy in the story um, is getting tired of being cut off. Oh, yeah. By the girl in it, right? Uh-huh. It's like, she's like, what are you talking about? Like, she's being sarcastic. And, uh, I honestly imagine Brentron in the role. That's right? a, that's a recurring and- theme. And yeah, I would, this entire time I was like, this is, this is a, a character. This is a PC interaction with an NPC. He's like, you mean, you mean to tell me? He's like, I'm trying to tell you if you'd shut up and let me finish. There's a lot of that, but there's a creepy element to the way they do that, right? Because we got to remember this Russian that she's talking to is really hard to get a hold of and obscure and deliberately made it difficult to get a hold of and then just gave in. Was like, you've paid enough money. If we push you any farther, you, your your employer would just seek a, a way to harm me. So let's get to it. I'll tell you the secrets you should know. And she's like, all right, I'm ready for the good story. But it's a half told story. Mm-hmm. Nothing's de- like she says the city of Dis, right? And she's like, are you serious? Who does it use the city of, like, really? The city of death, like the what in hell? And he's like, who's to say it wasn't? And it isn't. Uh, were you there? Like, no. Well, then can you stop interrupting me? <laughs> yeah, okay, let's move on. And that's how she treats him. This becomes a theme in all three stories, right? Uh, but that's the that's the highlight of it. But what I liked, and definitely how this relates hardcore to Requiem, is when she goes, wait a second, you're trying to say this is the first city where a vampire set as the figurehead? ruled openly amongst mortals. I can't think of any city that would ever do that. In fact, the one that came closest was the Camarilla, and that was in Rome. And they freaking fell apart. Not even they ruled openly. So what are you saying, Jack? And he pauses a second, and then he's basically like, where do you think the venture got the idea? Right. (laughs) And and she pauses, and I sat there, and I was like, mic drop. Right? Is what just occurred. And then she sputters as a historian would, and is like, ah, wait a second, wait a second. Pretty cool. But 
she rolls on. She meets another entity. This time, as I would like to call, uh, this is the Lovecraftian asylum, as they refer to it, right? In the construction of this place, although they refer to it as a retirement home, mm. in quotes. And uh, she had a chilling feeling about being there as if she was being watched the whole time. And she runs into this old man, which I believe is French, if memory serves. Pratt Alvinson does sound French to me. So Ante Vignon is, is like his last name I can't pronounce, but would butcher it. Uh, but the, so. Right? It's something like that. But the point is, it's just a mortal. It's a mortal old guy up here willing to talk about Belial's brood. And I thought that alone should have told her, uh-uh. Like, <laughs> I'm with her watching a horror film or really reading it like, no, don't go. But she has to go, right? And uh, in this regard, Brentron, what story does he tell her? So... Uh, this story, the story of the Antichrist, uh, is told by this, uh, like you said, this mortal in this asylum that our protagonist, Constance, has come to visit. And he starts asking uh, a question that caught me off guard. He's like, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And it's like, that's a very <laughs> odd question to to ask a, a kindred. But uh, all right. He's like, uh, I don't see why this has anything to do with it. Have you, you know, the the story that Jesus Christ came once and that he will come again? Has it ever occurred to you that the Antichrist has already walked this earth? And she's like, what are you talking about? Let me tell you a story. Long ago, there was a woman. Uh, her name was Imraku, I believe. And she was uh, the Belial. Belial's brood reveres her as a saint, but she's not a saint but how you and I would think. She was a whore. Understanding how bad this was. Right. It's not just that she was one. It was the fact that you could basically procure services for bread. Right. Mm -hmm. That's how lowly she was in the totem pole, as it said. And and by her own choice, for reasons unbeknownst to anybody. And she was so ridden with uh, diseases like chlamydia being one and other communicable diseases that there's no way she could have a child. Why the distinction is being made is because as he as he points out, right, as uh, Brenchron, please continue. I just feel it's pointed because she it wasn't like she was a normal woman. Right. Okay. That that's right. She was described as being uh, incredibly debased, right? Because for who else could the Antichrist come from? But when she wakes up one morning to discover she's pregnant, it's it's completely unexpected. And as this, um, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because it goes on to describe that uh, uh, this person is born. Right, and it goes on to describe their life. They have other uh, other siblings and such, and that they're apprenticed to a blacksmith. But they were um, one of the the recurring things in this is that people are not named. Right, Imraku was was named because of her importance. This this Belial, uh, this Antichrist, is named obviously because of how important he is. But the others around it, they're humans. Belial's brood is leaving behind their humanity, so why would they even care about those distinctions? Uh, as he was, um, uh, throughout his early life, he was described as uh, uh, whores followed him. Small editor's note here. I meant to pronounce horrors. Right, these these uh, travesties. He was described as slaying people, even people close to him at the, the slightest provocation. Someone that was wrathful, someone that was prideful and greedy. Someone that was even more uh, debased than his own mother was described as being previously. And in this life, in this uh, description, uh, there's a, a vampire comes to him, right? He's either going to slay him or he was going to embrace him that night or first. Well, 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 hang, well, hang on, Brenchard. I think I think we're missing important distinctions, right? Because just like the Antichrist is is born in, 
we have to understand that, uh, or like Christ is born in, there were special things that he could do. This is told as a child. The Antichrist is a similar being in this regard, right? So it was like a, a bronze smith is who he apprenticed under, right? Mm-hmm. And he was working for this dude and kind of learning the tricks of the trade. But they said there was a weird malady that followed him. Like his mom died mysteriously and his, this, his first wife died mysteriously and whatnot. But he refused to accept help from anybody. Like, he was in poverty and refused to get out of it with any assistance or help. If he couldn't do it himself, no one's going to He wanted no help. It yep. was it was self-reliant. It was uh, as a way to typify that, that left-hand path stereotype, right? He yes. would... But, but, but what we're trying to do, what I'm trying not to have you overlook, is the fact that that is defining for what he is as a source of power where it comes from. And when it comes from the fact of what he, his father is rumored to be... Right, which is the adversary, mm-hmm. this is further important because if you're a fan of Damien here, um, you understand that the, the weird things of like the omens start happening. For instance, yep. when that when that bronzesmith drops off, he learned his trade. Mysteriously, he always had customers and his stuff never breaks, and it's always he's meeting demand and he's always getting money for what he has going on. Suddenly the world takes care of him, it seems, but he's doing it his way under his own oath, right? He has food aplenty every time he goes to the market, despite if there was a plague or a shortage or a war going on, he always had enough for himself and whatever else he needed. And and that's even if he wants to throw a party, apparently he would find the means to have it under his own merit. And these mysterious circumstances highlight to the strength of this guy. And I just want to tether that to quickly catch up to the point you were talking about was then Everybody gets pissed off because people start coming to him for advice. Mm-hmm. Like, how are you doing this? How are you obtaining it? And instead of him being quiet, a bit of his father's pride's in him, right? And he starts saying, okay, cool, this attention. Let me tell you what I've been doing. Here are the philosophies I follow. And do everything yourself. Make, make of the world what you choose to, and you will see it realized. And because of that, rely not on these other false gods. They are just in the way. Do it yourself. Well, this puts him in direct opposition of the known church at the time, or the church is, or whatever you want, the faith, we'll call it. And they decide they're going to come kill him. But Brentshorn, you were talking about his mysterious powers at that point. Rather than him do what Jesus does, which is turn the other cheek, right. what does Belial do? So when he's struck, he doesn't turn the other cheek. When he's struck, you are wounded. You begin to burn. Whatever you do to him is returned unto you sevenfold, or maybe fivefold, something to that effect. And as this... And what this means is just like uh, previously when uh, whenever he went to go do something or procure something, he he took it under his own power. There was no force that could stand against him. No one could stop him. And now he had gained the the attention of the priests, like Bob mentioned, right? It's at this point that he really gains the attention of those that, uh, well, of the kindred. And one comes to visit him one night, either to kill him, to embrace him. I think it was actually to to kill him because even they were beginning to be a little bit fearful of what he was. Only when the when the sun set the next day, both of them walked out, and Belial was still immortal, and this vampire that came to him was now his first disciple. Right, and he meets. Immediately, that's that's flipping people's that's flipping people's expectations. Uh, our our protagonist here couldn't believe it at all because she was like, "You mean to tell me that this mortal was was basically a, a lord of a vampire? Like, when does he get embraced?" And that old old man in the asylum just kind of leans in and tells her, "What makes you think he was ever embraced?" 
There's there's a lot telling there, right? Because uh, DJ looked like you've been wanting to say something for the past two minutes, sir. No, no, sure. So, like, and one of the things is we at least know the following, especially from the night that was spent with the mortal. Uh, that vampire, of course, being a vampire, goes like, well, time to sway him. Let's go ahead and do the wham-sham. Thank you, ma'am. Claps his hands and beams his thoughts into uh, into Belial because Belial had to, like, let it happen. And he got a look at the innards of Event Horizon, right? Because that's what ended <laughs> up happening. He's like, do you see? And that's exactly what I, that vampire was not ready for what was inside of Belial. And he's like, yep, I got it. Uh, better be on this side than, uh, than gone. But we got to clean this up a tad. And that's because those are two separate vampires. There's the because they because when they met they first said we're gonna control this guy look at what he's done because of the things he did in the battlefield it's the fact that he took up no weapon that's a distinction of Bilal when he shows like his 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 faith if you will his powers proven and he was punching people and reducing them to ash is what was going on just destroying them outright and the weapons he made for his followers were cleaving shields in twain and their armor unbroken. And when they were outnumbered, right, the, the enemy that came from was too many, the animals in the surrounding area would burrow up and under armor and get at the people on the inside and chew them from the inside and out. Brutal deaths to be had to even the odds. Strange to see. And so the vampires had to come to him to put him under thumb because they wanted to. I want to have this guy. And one said, I'm just going to go and control his thoughts. And suffer the fate that DJ just said. Why that's important is because now may you understand... While the other vampire went and said, hey, I want to have a chat. Which is what Brentron described. And he was like, all right, come in and sit down and let's talk for a minute. And they talked the entire night up until dawn, right? And that's how it went. But when old boy left that place, he had an apostle and he was still mortal. And that's why it's pointed when an asylum incident happens, right? Because you got to remember those keys are being left behind. Very, they're, they're, you got to understand that because Why? That's the thing I love about these stories the most, is when you sit back and think of Requiem, the vampire powers, everything we talked about, how they affect mortals. How in the hell is this guy that special? What's the thing that, okay, he's the Antichrist, Bob, that's special. Okay, but he's saying this dude walked, he existed, that happened. What the hell could he have seen, like DJ said, in his mind, that was the event horizon scary stuff? But what the hell's in his mind specifically, as the book outlines it, is that it's the exact plan that he has. Everyone thinks they understand this guy. And when he let that vampire in, he let him see what he was all about, which is really what everybody wanted to know. And that alone drove him insane. But when he's considering the fact that his father's the adversary, that's a heavy thought. What do you guys think was, was that point? What do you think was in his mind that he could have seen? That would have been horrific at the time. Do you have a have a clue? I'm just curious here more than anything. Uh, something like the adversary. Like, I want you... If you, a person, were to... I'm going to put it this way. Uh, I'm going to make this a biblical reference. There, there are several uh, descriptions of, like, angels or, or God in, like, the Old Testament, right? Where angels had wings not because they needed to fly, but they were to hide what they really looked like from mortals who could see them. Because if you saw them, you would be driven to madness or die just by looking at them. What he saw in that mind, I believe, was, to, to me, makes sense, is he saw the adversary himself or something to that effect. Like, he be, beheld something that was truly almost divine, or in this case, infernal, and he, what he was, could not withstand that. 
Alright. What about you? Interesting. I saw it from the perspective of Bilal himself, right? Which is to say, it's kind of as cheesy as it sounds, but it's funny. It reminds me of like uh, Evangelion, that scene where it's just a pool of blood and it's just like one single person standing there. And I say that because in this end, you see a totality, right? Where most people usually see tools. There has to be an environment in order for you to thrive, whether it means you rule over it or not. What if Bilal just saw the end of everything and it's just him alone? And that might have been, you know, obviously there's the, the path of how he gets there, but that might have been the end goal and seeing what it took to get to that end goal where he's the last one standing. I think that's what he probably saw at one point or another. I thought cheesily of a beloved film, right, that I'm going to paraphrase. And what is said is uh, its movie is Dune. And if you remember, what I think the adversary told him is that basically I let you into my mind and I will remember your Gom Jabbar. Now you remember mine. Um, Look into that place that you cannot go and you'll see me there staring back at you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Was sort of the origin effect is what it was. Because in other words, what that superimposed philosophy means, as badass power you think you have, you've come to me and you think that I, a messiah that you have laid at my feet is what I am, that I do not have a source of power that has to be so dark and maligned. And in this instance, you might be right, because what that power is, is I know you. I know what you are because I am pure of that force. As it says, the Antichrist here in this story, Belial, is of the adversary direct. He's not even mortal in a lot of ways, right? Not immortal at all. He's whatever it is that vampires are supposed to be. And even describes that Belial has a great relationship with vampires because he's closely related to them. But he's at an ascended level. He's at another place. But he's also immortal as well. He's both. So when that dude gets in his mind to see it, I wonder what that truth would be. Because if you're immortal, and then you have an inner you have inner dark thoughts anyway, right? Hungers and things that are just dissatisfied. When you become a vampire, they are awoken, and you call it the beast. And so you think you have an excuse, right? I could be forgiven. This is bad. I don't have to be a bad guy. But the more bad I do, the more it gets worse. Well, then you meet someone that says, actually, what you're calling the beast isn't the... Uh, no, that's the beginning. You're like looking at the outside of, a, of an onion. You haven't even begun to peel back the layers to see what you have at the center there. Um, but I'm going to let you look at the center directly. I agree with both your takes. I'm just saying that when I saw that, I'm, I'm glad that that's not, I'm not the only one that was like, dude, this was not just a slam dunk. Here's, here's 3,000 snapshots of horrific body torture. It was like, oh, mm. it could be something as simple as, oh, all that's in there is him sitting in a chair looking at him. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been enough to unnerve him, right? Like, oh, oh man. Um, which I thought was dope. This uh, this leads to an important part that I, I definitely want you to get into, Brenchard, if you don't mind. How does Belial in this story die as the Antichrist? Okay, there we go. Uh, so to, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take us a couple of steps to get there, right? Because we talked about him getting his first uh, disciple. Uh, he does go on to have uh, ones that were known as the, the five core disciples. And his cult would grow beyond that. But as time went on, he remained mortal. Vampire kindred were so terrified of him that just being associated with him would warrant final death. And this continued downhill until it was him and his five disciples once again. And by this point, Belial... Uh, Oh, whatever. I'll call him Belial. Belial uh, was becoming a, he was an old man and his disciples were pleading with him. Uh, uh, please, may we, can we embrace you so you can continue to lead us? And he said, no, of course not. Everything I have done and built in my life, I have made with my own two hands and through my own strength. And I will not allow you 
to push me forward anymore. If I take another step forward, it's through my own power. And they were about at a loss, but how could they stop him? How could they argue with him? And so the next night when they arose again, he was gone. His bed appeared undisturbed. They don't know how they got past him. And the, I believe it was the third disciple went to the first and basically was like, well, what do we do now? What, what could we possibly do? And the first disciple killed and diabolized the third one because she had learned nothing through all those years. He told them he left us because of your weakness, because you did not follow his lead. You were not strong enough and you will leave. And I have been too merciful. And that's why he killed the third one. And he told them basically my last act of mercy. No, this is not an act of mercy to let you leave. I am allowing you to leave so that everything we have learned has not, does not fall to dust along with us. And the other three fled. And it's, and it's, and it's almost a hundred percent. What I want to make sure we, we get right is the fact that remember there is an act that's done. Everything you set up to the point where he sleeps is correct. Right. But the part we got to remember, he's betrayed. One of them goes ahead and embraces him. Yep. Right. It just fangs him and embraces him. Cause remember an eerie thing happens. If you remember what happens to Christ, right? He's, uh, when when he's speared through the side, whatever, he lays in the tomb for like how many days? Three. Right? That's exactly what happens to this guy. Now, in here, I thought that when this guy gets embraced and he lays there, and exactly what you said happened, right? First and the third and the argument, whatever. But it's why the first lost their cool. Because laying there, he wanted to, he beats the shit of the third and says, hey, you know what? I'm going to let the master decide what to do. And they're all staring, looking at him, and then master doesn't move at all. And so they they wait the time. Three days go by, three nights, and then it's just gone, vanished. Nothing, no auspice can detect it. They don't know what happened to it. That's when his rage kicks in. And it kicked in because he goes through and says, we've betrayed him. Mm-hmm. We are not worthy of being part of his brood. And because of that, that's, that's where we failed him. And also where I have failed him is that I have showed mercy where he would show none. And then he diabolizes and rips apart the person who embraced him and tells the rest, go forth so we're not lost. And they go. Right. And in this is a super layered nest egg story that is stealing kind of the idea of Christ. Right. Because there's the Christ tomb referenced directly. But does it not have sacrifice built in here? It even has the betrayal of Judas in this story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To me, it was insidious how it was written, because by them wrapping it up that way and this dude telling the girl in the story, I felt for certain she was in some sort of a trap. As these tales were going on. And they were really testing her to see if she could pick up what what crumbs were being laid in front of her, right? Could she pick up the truth from the story? And she's because she's coming across as a shrewd person, as you pointed out, Bertrand. Like she's uh, would you say like a player to an NPC? Like, mm-hmm. wait a second, what about this? Hey, wait a second, what about that? But this this culminates into a into a third story, right? Because this dude, uh, the old guy's paid in what what is assumed blood. And what do you think about that? Do you guys think she gave him blood? Yeah, most of. Uh, I, I, the the idea of that independent ghoul that like performs services for blood. Yeah, I, honestly, I can't. I can see that. Um, although that that there's some implications there that's got me scratching my head. Like, all right, he's an old man in like an asylum or retirement home. He's he's got to get blood regularly, or otherwise, right? So, how often do people come to him asking about Belial's brood stories? Like, oh, this is interesting. I personally have an idea. That motherfucker's a ghoul for the brood. But 
but that's that's, that's I, just my favorite. I love it. My hat is in your arena with that. That's what he must be. Because uh-huh. he also mentions that this will keep me going for a couple weeks. Thanks, girly. And you should get something to eat after this. Uh-huh. And I was yeah. like, huh. Or or is he a vampire and she's not one? Or is she one? And she definitely is one. Like, that's the other thing. And I was like, hmm. This kind of leaves it there. Unless I missed it. I didn't hear anything of her clear marks of her being there. Except she was shrewd at investigation and her powers were used for that. But we're talking, this is this Chronicles of Darkness. I mean, her powers, there's a lot of things mm-hmm. that exist in Chronicles that she could be. Are we certain this is what it is? Uh, and I, I was sorry. Go ahead. I don't. I don't mean. No. To no. Me. Please. No. 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 But I'm, I'm bowing to you in that regard because where I know a lot about requiem and vampires, werewolves in that regard, I have not by any means studied and memorized every book that's been produced. You, you're absolutely right. There are a couple of things she could be. It could be she's a ghoul because ghouls do have powers of that. It's also possible she's a damn peer, although that's not appeared in print yet. So I'm going to throw that possibility out. <laughs> I do believe she's a kindred based off of some uh, some comments that she'll make. And I, there's one, one that I really want to talk about, but it's after the Jackal story. So I don't want to steal anyone's thunder. So then I'll get to it so we can get to that because now I'm my peak curiosity here. Okay. Um, so... What she does from there is that she gets done listening to this guy and she leaves. And they don't say where she goes to next other than when she shows up, this guy's in a room waiting for her Mm -hmm. of a meeting that she didn't arrange. And so immediately she's checked. She's like, what the hell's going on here? And basically, long story short, he's like, sit down, shut up. I'm going to tell you a story. They call me the jackal. That's all you're going to get from me. Don't ask. But here it is. And he goes off and says the name of a different city completely than the city of Dis, because the old man, mm-hmm. we told you, remember that story. First guy was like, it was the city of Dis. It was dark and evil, and it's in hell too. It's cool. You can go there. Here's a postcard. Second story, the old man's like, they believe it might be called Dis. And she's like, do you really believe that? She goes, no, I don't really believe that, but it's good enough because it's in Babylon. That's <laughs> that's what it is. So it'll suit for you, girly. And she's like, yeah, okay. Third guy's like. Yeah, it was near Babylon, but it's called, I think, Sayap or something like that. It's yeah. close to it if it's not at exact. And she's like, wait a second. You're not going to say City of Dis? And the jackal just blinks and stares at her. So it feels like you're getting a distilled story. Like it starts far-fetched and then he gets more realistic. And now she's getting the skinny, the real of what it is. And this dude's like, okay, here's the deal. I'll tell you about Belial. He's one of the greatest fighters of his time. I know. Was he really? Who knows? But at least by comparison. So we can assume... Somewhere in the middle, let's say he was good at fighting. And he's a warrior's warrior. And he runs around warring and he's kicking his shit at everybody. And there's all these tribes. He's beating them too. And he had two distinct things going from one. He had a god that nobody had ever heard of that he completely prayed to. Doesn't have a name. We wouldn't even be able to pronounce it if we had it, but it's the shit. And it gives him all this stuff that he's able to do. He only He's the only one who worships it. He does it through sacrifice. Like it was the common thing to do back then. He was really good at it. Second thing is cannibalism. So, and she's like, hang on a second. Why is that a big deal? And he's like, what are you talking about? Why is cannibalism a big deal? She's like, yeah, is that common where you're from? And she's like, no, it's not common where I'm from. But like every society's had a form of cannibalism. Like Native American warriors ate the heart of their enemies to steal their spirit. He goes, yeah, that's great. That's cool. Can I continue my story? Or do I need to get a pen to get down your anthropology notes? She's like, oh, my bad. And he continues and he goes, listen, where there have been cannibals, not like this guy. Okay, this guy was running around fighting people and reportedly biting them in combat to chew of their flesh, right? It was allowing it to initially build up a fear to him. He gets a tribe going and he lets these stories of fear go on because it is true. He would take parts of the flesh to sacrifice to an altar very rarely. 
but he would do it. And that was pretty common. That lines up with her story about anthropology cannibalism. But then it evolved from there because he like got addicted to it. Mm-hmm. And so then he was ordering his men to go and like how bad it got. Okay, go steal these people out of their tents to sleep at night and bring them back. And his men were like, all right. And then he's like, hey, yum, they, yum. Got, they got warriors? Yeah, get the best ones and bring them back. Why? Because steak's on. Yeah, all right. Cool. So they're doing that too. So they're not wanting for food and, you know, eating's good. Well, this fear builds up around and he's like, you know what? What stories are they telling of me? Because they grab a captive and this dude's like, please just don't eat my family. He's like, why would I eat your family? Because I heard stories about the Jew eat family and you do this. You did. Please spare him. He's like, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. What did they do in combat? So what's he do? Next combat he gets into, he slices a guy that reaches up and bites a chunk out of his shoulder. And is chewing on as he fights him and kills the guy. And, you know, whatever. But strangely, in battle, it didn't matter what wound he took. It didn't matter what illness he got from the wound or whatever. He always recovered and always came back. Assumably, the lives he was taking, he was taking their spirit and able to walk with it and live on. And that was through the worship of his God. It gets worse, right? Because as all stories go, old age is doing a number on this dude. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, man, all my power. It sucks. What am I going to do? And he says, hey, I wonder if uh, eating warriors makes me strong. I wonder if eating the young makes me young. Let's get it going. And immediately his big tribe was like, I'm out. He was like, what? Look, we were eating with you. We were eating people with you. Warriors is one thing. Fear in the heart of your enemy. Great. Um, This dude has crumb somewhere over here in this time. I'm going to go over here. His name's Conan. Seems to be a real deal. I don't need babies, bro. And he's out. And they're like, well, what about you guys? And I'm like, well, you're going to eat our children if we don't, right? Yeah, I'm going to. Oh, well, sure. Well, here's the near neighbor's tribes. Here's some kids. Enjoy. Well, he starts going to town. Now, they don't say whether or not it was helping his aging process at all. What they do say is he's getting pretty jaded in in regards to hiding it. Like, I imagine a village that started where it was like a typical village back in the day, proto whatever civilization it was. And he had a place to eat, maybe some cool caves, you know, some cool mud huts, whatever, living it up. And then after a while, he starts laying sort of deer skin over a hut. It's human skin. Still isn't good. There's just one thing I wanted to point out about this because I think it's important to, to, to really frame his mindset. He was afraid of death, right? But he's not afraid of death in the same way, you know, you might think. His only problem with death is that that's a loss he would take without being able to find it. That's yeah. why he didn't like it. He went to wise men finding ways, and that's how he got to the, the young child, like, eating <laughs> aspect, right? But this entire time, he is just someone whose life is fighting in conflict and winning. And it's and, and like you said, it's it's a weird point to make about that of what he would be afraid of because the the guy telling the story, the jackal, wants to hammer home he's fearless. But I still yep. think it's weird that we have human skin tents at a point, and now we have child skulls being piled up around the camp. Mm-hmm. This is when the other tribes, and I think this is another parable, just like the last one was a test of her. This one's almost like a warning, where it says, "Hey, look, everybody found out what he was doing." And so they couldn't take him alone, so they banded together, and they showed up to take him down. Of course they could, because everybody's outnumbered like 10 to 1. Mm-hmm. And they swarm this dude and his people, and they start killing him and taking him out. And uh, they get to him, and they hoist him up in their shoulders, wounded, and start going into his camp to see just how bad it is. They see the baby skulls, they see the children's clothes folded. And I was like, bullshit. Mm-hmm. Right there, I would call the jackal. At the moment he said they were folding children's clothes, I was like, this is proto-barbarian time, right? He's like, yeah, they were going to fold the children's clothes and hand them out amongst their own kids. Like, yeah, wouldn't they have just handed them out? Like, I'm trying to figure out the point of that. And I think it was deliberate. I really feel that as they wrote that point in the story, the jackal of the retelling it was mocking her. 
in the room. You've noticed everything else. There's a detail you should have gotten, didn't. But why was she doing that? Is or he was doing that was the point. And I think it's this to showcase how wherever the the brood goes, whatever they've done, no matter how horrible, eventually it gets out. And this cycle happens where people come to kill them, but they prevail in some big way. And just like that, Be- uh, Belial in this story, he uh, gets his throat slit and they leave him on the ground. They set his hut on fire and walk away. And he goes, shock and horror. They may have done that, but uh, like the flame falls from the hut and it's like you can't set mud on fire. I don't know if you know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they should have known that because they were primitive. Uh, but don't worry. They had those kids clothes to catch on fire. We'll ignore that. But the point is, it's it's dripping from the top, right? Landing <laughs> on the bottom and doesn't kill him. He wakes up hella thirsty from being half-baked and not dead and needs something to drink. Well, on that altar that he had, there was cupped hands that he was dumping blood into. And it's the only source of liquid near him. And it's like a last act he has before he's dead. He rolls over and drinks it. And this feels like fire for him to swallow. So he, he drinks the blood from the altar in his tent? Or he drinks the blood from the wound that was slit from his throat? No, from the altar in the tent. He had a slit throat and talks about how thirsty he was. And then he goes to the one source that had the blood collected in it, which was the altar. That's the blood he drinks. So in other words, the wound to his neck bled him out. And that's what it did. And he needed to fill it up. No water anywhere. But there is blood. And that's the source that he drinks. And then that is the fire that enters his body. And that makes him the vampire he becomes. But he doesn't yet know he's a vampire is the important part. Like, he has an idea of what he is, and they talk about that. Not like a vampire, but that he has power because it seals the wound, right? It gives him strength of limb, and he feels reinvigorated, and he has this energy, and he's bouncing about, and he and he goes out and decides to lead wholesale slaughter to his enemies, and really, we kind of know this tale, mm-hmm. right? As it talks about, okay, he's the first, and we're going to leave it at that, and, uh, you know, regardless. So, it's three possible tales, except for the fact that I think the whole important part of them telling history, origin, and that capacity was the creepiness of what happens to her and what goes on in there. In fact, it's at the end of that tale, they they close off with somebody called, I think it was, was it the outsider or the, the unknown? unknown? It's just unknown from because he left the message, right? And right. Uh, so this, this is the thing I was talking about earlier, where she made a comment that made me think she was a kindred. Because she leaves a message before that, right? She's made some annotations in between That's the other right. stories. And she's like, well, uh, there's a lot of contradictory stuff here, but, you know, the prince isn't a brood expert. I think we can launch this attack and um, blame it on the brute. And then it just cuts off. And then that message comes up with the unknown. And he's like, so, Jackal. Uh, and there's, like, gurgling in the background, right? It sounds like a blood fountain. Bet you, uh, you were you thought, hey, I should probably warn her to leave. You know, this place isn't safe now. Uh, it's already too late for that. Um, also, the second thing you're thinking is, you know, why didn't I just like stop to talk to you? Why am I leaving you a message on this recorder that she had? Well, um, turn around, brother, and then it just turns off. Yes. It's a chilling way to end a story. And I, and I like it, too, because he was like, you know, obviously Tanny, brother. Uh-huh. And that's what it is, because he implicates <laughs> that the jackal was part of the brood, uh-huh. is, is how it went, and the jackal betrayed it. What's important, though, for me, is that that story still didn't scratch the surface as to what they are. You know three stories of what they might be. There's some truth to them, but there's a lot of exaggeration to pull you out of sorts, just like it did her. But if you remember the movie The Ninth Gate, the same thing happened to the protagonist in that story. It was pulling all sorts of places to whatever the truth was. He really didn't know what was going on. He was more or less answering like this feeling or impulse to keep going. And I feel she got sucked in it too. 
And they answered it. It's almost like they said the Jackal's betrayal meant her rise as they're taking her to test her or to have her. Because for some reason, she kept pining after this knowledge and eventually got it. And and added, she was selected because of her senses. She was selected because someone kept paying her. And now I remember they even mentioned a prince comment that she made. So she knew who she served directly. So yeah, I'm agree now. She's a vampire. Has to be. And uh, I thought that was that was awesome. But that's cool stories. Then this book rolls into chapter two. And, and the important aspect of chapter two is that we're going to dive into that next week. Because uh, at this point in time, what we have is, uh, like I said, we're going to judge for it. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about and get to this point. And these origin yeah. stories, believe it or not, were being brief. That's why there yes. are parts. It's it's Brentron tried his damnedest, and I'm going to back this to the hill uh, to, to make it to where I don't want to reveal everything. But what do I want to mm-hmm. say? Let's make it talking points. And that's why a lot we we go back and forth to try to repair that because we also want you guys to understand enough of it to understand why we find it cool and its point being here. And to that end, um, next week we're going to pick up and we're going to directly talk about the process of becoming part of the brood, what the Valdry is, mm-hmm. and we'll even get into what some of their positions are in this. This covenant is weird. It is definitely weird. And I'm going to tell you, if all this didn't strike you as this is really deep and odd and a little creepy, yeah, it gets worse. So... Stay tuned for that. But what were you going to say, DJ Brennan? I'm sorry. I saw you both like, uh. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, we'll we'll get to the crux of the matter next episode. <laughs> God damn you, Brennan. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I, uh, oh, Jesus, that just, that's like a gut punch. All right, hold on a second. Let me recover. Um, Why I think it's uh, so far from what we've spoken to, right? Because at least we want to encapsulate what we've done is. One, this story is written as a story from a perspective of someone investigating, whereas all the other Covenant books have not been that way. It's all been objective information from the perspective of the way the author had written it or an eye in the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that she's even pursuing this knowledge and the fact that it's written from her perspective or the perspective of people seeking stuff should automatically tell you that this th- the way that you're going to view this Covenant is going to be different. What's also interesting about it is these three stories, as Bob was mentioning, if you haven't gotten the hints yet, these are parables, right? It's just to instill in you what the purpose of the brood is and or where they come from much the same way like they'll tear us down we'll come back out the is this power from within or from without and, and those are kind of things to reflect because we don't want just tell you the you know the origin stories without it meaning anything this is of importance uh as to why we would pay attention the most to this because it's going to set up the stage for the next episode now um why we're going to extend it to two parts want to hammer this home everything dj said is fantastically the point Right. We want to make sure you get it because a lot of people, uh, I mean, when I mentioned Belial's brood, folks are like, yeah, the Bali. Hey, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. This, You're wrong. I can't tell you. You're categorically wrong. Uh, yeah, sure. Satanic elements are here and that's there. But this is, they're way cooler than what the Bali ever were. It's that simple. I mean, cut and dry. We'll have that debate whenever you like. But that's that. That's what it is. You want it different. And the authors answered that that difference, I feel. And enough of it to make it warranted. So when we go over this, uh, we're not going to make it a deep dive. Trust me, we can get deeper uh, when it comes to this. We're trying to give you that high enough overview uh, for this to be worth your time for a second look. And if you haven't picked it up, now is a better time to do it PDF. Trust me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's worth that time. So uh, Brennan, close us out. And everybody else will we'll tune you in next time right after Brennan says what he's got. Yeah, I, I just wanted to say, because uh, this this is something I really liked about this book, and it's something DJ just kind of said. It's that perspective change. We're not 
we're no longer looking at things from objective standpoints, right? It's all in character information. That's how it's presented. The rest of the books from this point forward, even to the the second edition books that just recently came out, are going to keep that perspective mostly. And that's uh, I, that's just an awesome thing that really that simple writing trick had hooked me line and sinker every time when I was, especially when I was reading the clan books. It takes it from a textbook to an entertaining read, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It makes it to where anybody can read these and enjoy these, not just the people who want to specifically dive into what this group is. And uh, that that's everything. But uh, thank you guys for coming along with this. I appreciate you, Brennan, being there. I know it got a little clicky. Uh, some editing magic will have to be in place for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's long distance, so uh, we'll yeah. deal with that. But to see you guys next week, we do part two. Apologize, Werewolf. We will delay that book by one week. Uh, thanks, guys. Yeah. Take it easy, folks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 years of VTM at our email info at 25 years VTM.com on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25 years VTM or on our website www.25yearsvtm.com If you would like to support us, we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade.